Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Theme of the week is too many polls. There are so many polls. We were just throwing things out of this script. Very important up until things. Thirty seconds ago, <laughs> axing polls. Yes, we cut some stuff from the IOP youth poll, yes. which is like my favorite thing. I know just ours too. Too much to talk about. Yes, too much to talk about. So we'll we come will, back to it. We'll in come back weeks. to it. So if surely, you, surely the deluge of polls will stop. I'm sure there won't be any more. Um, <laughs> that might. This is it. There won't be any more between now and November. Well, I am very excited for our listeners who are uh, members of APOR, American Association of Public Opinion Research researchers. Oh gosh, I've just screwed that up. You're it's looking the big at me like I would know the answer to that. I'm not a member. I'm a member as of two hours ago. Kylie, will be there. Remember Every Kylie? Every year I forget Chat. to renew my membership, and then I go to register for the conference, and I realize I have to. All of which is to say, for any listeners, I know Kylie is doing a. a presentation there because I was looking through some of these fabulous panel names and she's she's a presenter. And also Brian Bennett, who is the project lead on the Navigator poll we're going to talk about today with Jeff Pollack. He will be there. I'm sure we know others. Yeah, I'm if excited. If you were going, tweet us and we'll like, you know, get yeah. the tweet at us. I, I want to Twitter conversation I was going. trying to figure out, do we do some kind of a quasi live show? But I may just do like a like a like a casual meetup, like Kristen puts down her credit card at a bar and <laughs> buys people beers for an hour <laughs> in the afternoon. Uh, don't get you too have, excited. You have to subscribe. You have to be like some. There has to be some. You sort have to like of, demonstrate that you have downloaded an yeah, episode. Yeah, and then I will buy you a yeah. beer. Is that legal? I feel like that's like a yeah. Surely that's fine. Yeah, it's that you can't pay totally. for good reviews. Like I can't be like well. If you have to give me a good review or I'll buy you a beer. If you give us a good review. I mean, I think that's still legal, right? It's I, just I like think it's not like food, Apple food. legal. Yeah. It may, I don't think it's I'm going to go to jail illegal. Right. I think it's like <laughs> I would go to Apple the jail. The going to get raided all of a sudden. <laughs> How, they just barged in and took everything. But let me just read you some of these uh, these panel titles that I've, I encountered. Um I bet your barista doesn't serve up these blends comparing non-probability and probability surveys and their combinations. Oh. What? That's good. <laughs> May the odds be ever in your favor. Gamifying incentives oh, for panel participants. <laughs> like, well, if you threaten to throw them into a fight to the death, they probably will take your survey to get out. Uh, to use emoji or not, examining the impact of emoji in a web survey of youth and teens. Oh, 100% I'm there. <laughs> I am 100% there. So anyhow, I'm excited. What if you live tweet I, that only with emoji? challenge accepted <laughs> uh but i'm 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 thrilled this is going to be fun it's it's I, i'm one of those people that like i don't go to any of the political conferences the polit like the the awards that political consultants give each other for being awesome and doing great ads like that's just never been my thing this is my thing this is the conference i go to well good well so yeah, i'm excited i went last year i think and you're gonna go this year and maybe one year we'll go together but oh yeah we kind of alternate this is not that year well, I'll I'll carry the torch. Or I'll carry the uh, carry the banner. You'll for have us. to like have a little like you know when you have like debates against somebody and someone will dress up as a chicken or have like just a cardboard cutout or something. <laughs> just some like some like cardboard cutout with like you know kind of parody Margie. Oh uh, no! Now I really want someone to protest us. Like the pollsters are methodological garbage. They don't know what they're talking about. Who's gonna play Margie in like the panel prep? <laughs> Kristen's panel prep. So anyhow, if you're going to Denver. Mid-May, I'm going to be there. It'll be fun to meet any of our listeners who I have not met previously. And stay tuned. Watch this space if I did decide to do a 
pollsters meet up. I'll, uh, this is where you'll, you'll have to keep listening to find That's right. out. That's right. I'm not going to tweet it or anything. I'm only going to talk about it on the show. This is getting very tricky now. Yes. Just so that people who listen will have the details. Oh, that's good. Like maybe I can have like there will be the secret password. You have to have the secret password and it will be buried in like minute 38 of our episode. I had a client spit back the secret password you gave for like applying for a job like on a conference call. (laughs) Somebody was like, hey, Margie Shamrock. (laughs) I was like, like, that's a good reminder that clients are listening. That's good. (laughs) Anyway, hello, regular listener. Okay, so what are the top lines for this week? Um, More people are starting to learn about Robert Mueller. How's his fave unfave looking? We will discuss the latest polling there. And the generic ballot continues to get a little better for the GOP, but there are some polls in some individual races that look a little scary for some big-name Republicans. Then we will interview Jeff Pollack from GSG, Global Strategy Group. Margie's nodding at me. Yes, I've got that right. I do projects with them. Like, how am I screwing this up? Uh, To talk about his new polling that he's doing with Margie. That's right. Very exciting project. Uh, Our margin of error around these parts is 0.0, but the AP says we can ditch the decimal place. We will talk about the latest... Huge news in polling world. Ditch the decimal. Yeah. Uh, Nate Silver and company are going to be joining me in a different corner of mouse land as 538 moves from ESPN to ABC News. We will discuss. And then finally, millennials are ruining food. Of course they are. It seems. This got a lot of play on social. I will defend our honor at the end of the show. Okay. So – First, we have a little echelon polling. That's first right. poll of the week. Everybody's got something to talk about. So, what did you find? This was in the wake of, which now seems very long ago, the Facebook Mark Zuckerberg hearings. What did you find? Yes, we wanted to figure out how much do people think that the various companies that collect all sorts of data about us, how how worried are people about these individual companies? And so, we talked on this show about how. There are certain companies like Amazon that had pretty good fave on faves, whereas Facebook had seen some so has having some brand issues. Here we ask two different questions. One is confidence in these companies. How much confidence do you have that they will secure your personal information? And then we ask like a hypothetical: if there was a breach, if one of these companies did uh, your data was exposed, how big of a deal would it be? So, you know, for instance. Amazon, it would be bad. I would be, you know, I would not want my credit card being out there, but I think somebody hacking my Gmail would be worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you it's – but which one do I think is more likely to get hacked? I don't know. Right. So that's what these two questions are trying to understand. And what we find is that uh, Facebook and the credit bureaus are the least uh, trusted. People have the lowest confidence in them to secure their personal information. Uh, Amazon and your bank each get at least half of people saying that they think there's a great deal or quite a lot of confidence um, that they will protect their personal information. But it is your bank that is also the institution you'd be the most freaked out about if your data got breached. Um, 55% of people say they'd be extremely concerned if their personal information from their bank was exposed. Uh, Same thing, a credit bureau like Experian or Equifax, which I thought was interesting because so much of the information about – um, you, you know, these these credit bureaus get winds up being sort of sold as data about you as a consumer. It's not it's not a breach necessarily, but I think people don't realize how much information these credit bureaus have about them that is accessible to others without there right. needing to be a breach. Right. Um, Apple is the one that people are sort of the least concerned about. Thirty eight. Oh, in our chart, we say 38.4% of people are extremely concerned. Got to get rid of those decimal places. Well, Patrick and the Echelon team, if you're listening, time. it was a different time. The AP style book hadn't changed yet. <laughs> it was yet. last week, you know? But uh, So at any rate, <laughs> 38% of people say they'd be extremely concerned if their Apple data was exposed compared to 55% of people who would be concerned about their bank. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that 
you had, you know, some optimism and how much confidence. Well, first of all, it's important with this question and just with other types of topics like this that there are different metrics and dimensions that get very different results. So there's a lot more similarity in the how concerned would you be if there was a breach across all these different companies. But there's a real difference in how how much confidence you think that there will be a breach. And that is, you know, those are adjacent, but clearly produce di- different results. But I'm kind of amazed at the, at the way the credit bureau scored that it was not more pessimistic given there that was... That actually has been breached. <laughs> there actually was a breach, right? I mean, I, I was... But maybe it's receded enough from people's mind, I suppose, or people assume that now it's going to be different. I don't know. But I, I was surprised that seemed a little bit optimistic to me. It's still, you know... Not particularly optimistic, but it was more optimistic than I would have expected. So NBC and Wall Street Journal then did a tech poll where they wanted to figure out what do people think about these big four tech companies, Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. They found 37% of people said that they think Facebook and Twitter, social media platforms such as Facebook and Twitter, are not regulated enough. Um, while the same share said that they're regulated about the right amount and then 14% say there is too much regulation. Um, that's an interesting proxy. I wonder what percentage of those folks would identify themselves as libertarian. I don't know. But, you know, the other thing that they did, which I I don't – this was – this deck was handed to me. But I I think it's out there publicly and and certainly folks should look around for it and we'll try and link to it, is they then divided their sample – and we'll talk about the NBC, Wall Street Journal, political stuff in a bit. But they divided their sample into how plugged in folks were and came up with four different buckets in terms of how – you know, what their sort of daily – uh, tech usage was using things like doing Google searches on a daily basis, checking uh, Facebook on a daily be- basis, being an Amazon Prime member, having at least one Apple product. Now, I don't think they test. They looked at like all the different tech things you could do. They used these four to kind of divide uh, folks into a couple different buckets, and then compared um, what you know different audiences. There are obviously big differences by age and. And uh, socioeconomic status and whether or not folks fell – which group they fell into. Um, but they found a – by their definition, a plurality did one or two of those four items. Um, 13 percent did zero. 19 percent did all, you know, all four. They couldn't use check Twitter because Twitter is – I'm assuming is there weren't enough people who said that they used Twitter on a regular basis still ultimately. Not – you guys, it's just our swamp, yeah. <laughs> swamp creatures. <laughs> you guys, I know, I'll check Twitter regularly, but in terms of America, anyway. So, um, so folks should check that out. It's just another way to make sure. You know, are you using self-report in terms of how tech-enabled or engaged people are, or are you using specific behaviors as a way to then, you know, take a look at how people feel about things like? Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. The role of are we uh, are we regulating companies too much? How much influence do these companies have? Do they have too much influence or not enough influence? Those kinds of things. So it's worth digging into a little bit more. All right, let's now go to Trumplandia. Right now, our president is sitting at a forty-one point eight percent job approval. I feel like I can use decimal points when we're talking about polling averages. Mm. I feel okay with that. I defy you, AP. Come at me, bro. Here's what we need. We need a conversation at this point with the AP, Kristen, Philip Bump and his article about Trump talking to him about polling. <laughs> that was meaning of the minds. How can we talk about this average? <laughs> what, would that, like, what would that conversation look like? With, <laughs> who would win? Who would win? <laughs> How would you resolve that conversation with those – with that – imaginary panel? Well, all I know is that the president has imagined that 
the national level polls by ABC and CNN were very wrong in the 2016 election because that was part of some presidential tweets from late last week that Rasmussen was so great. And Rasmussen had Clinton plus two in the end and ABC had Clinton plus four in the end. I mean, it was within margin of error. They're both really close. Let's talk about imagining things. Anyways, I digress. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, right. And but Philip Pump had a piece about how, like, Trump's, you know, critique of polling is, you know, self serving, which I guess is not. Surprise. Not necessarily. I mean, it is news. I mean, it was, you know, there was a new data point to support that fact, right? Another and, tweet. Yes. Uh, but what I think continues to be astonishing is how little. Donald Trump's job approval has changed. You saw that increase after tax reform passed and then you have seen it plateau for the last few months. It has just sat there above 40 percent. Remember back when I tried to make Mr. 40 percent a thing and it was like that was crazy talk because he was hanging out in the mid mid 30s. Yeah. Now he's been way above, not way above, two points above 40 percent. But like for a while in a fairly stable fashion. Yeah. And – on the question uh, – and, you know, if you turn on the news, the thing that seems to be, oh, what's going to happen with this is the Mueller investigation and new developments there. And since March, there have been some slight shifts in the public's view of Robert Mueller. Um, NPR, PBS NewsHour, Marist did a poll of 1,000 U.S. adults um, earlier this week actually. came out of the field April 13th. This is some piping hot, fresh yep. polling. yep. Uh, and they had asked in March as well as in April, what is – do you have a favorable or unfavorable view of Robert Mueller? Um, in March, you had a majority of Democrats with a favorable view, uh, but 37 percent saying they were unsure. Uh, since then, Democrats have gotten three points more favorable, but a lot more unfavorable as well. That You now have 19 percent of Democrats that have an unfavorable view toward Robert Mueller. So as more those, – those Democrats who had not yet heard – learned things, something in the last month was making them negative. For Republicans, same kind of pattern. Republicans have not grown more favorable to Bob Mueller. Surprise, surprise. It's only 16 percent favorable. Um, But the unknowns uh, have decreased as unfavorable has gone up all the way to 49 percent. And independents, same kind of deal. His unfavorables have gone up in the last month. His favorables have not moved. Yeah. I don't feel like my sense is Robert Mueller does not track his own fave unfave but that doesn't mean Comey we looked at the polls when yes, he was deciding know, what to do. I that's know. I feel like that's a that's all that veers too close to rank punditry for us on this show. But it is poll relevant. Yes, it is the polls back in the news. Oh my gosh, someone was making an FBI decision around the polls. That's relevant to what we talk about yeah. on the show. No, Nate Nate Yikes. Silver, who we'll talk about later, sent mm-hmm. out a like very mm-hmm. stern tweet about it. Comey is not Mueller. Mueller is not Comey. Right. Comey is not McCabe. McCabe is not Comey. Okay, I want to know. About McCabe the, is not Mueller. Where is the fave? <laughs> where is the fave unfave of Michael Avenatti? That's what I. That's what I would like to see, <laughs> or at least respond to. Can I respond to I that think, question? I think Michael Avenatti is a guest on Real Time this week. I mean, what is he? Get the, the good news about my enjoyment of Michael Avenatti is that I don't need to work very hard. Like I can just, you know turn on the television, unless it's Paw Patrol, <laughs> Michael Avenatti's on, you know, <laughs> only when if it's only if it's like kid show, then I probably won't see him. Everything else, I'm like, oh, there he is. I'm like, you know what? I would really be good in this segment. Oh, there he is. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I don't know. We haven't gotten to the point where we'll have a, hey, a fave on fave, but I'm sure in the next week or two, we'll have fave on fave on him and Michael Cohen. So if Bob Mueller is actually getting slightly less popular and the president's job approval stayed pretty stable, what does this all mean for 2018? So the generic ballot has been uh, making waves lately because the last couple of polls that have come out have shown pretty significant – probably too bold a word. But it's shown kind of good news for Republicans in that it is less bad than it used to be. At the generic ballot, a couple months ago, Republicans were down by double-digit margins. That is massive blue wave type territory. Those numbers improved uh, starting at the beginning of this year. And as of this week, you have uh, ABC News Washington Post has the generic ballot at D plus four. 
Quinnipiac came out with one D plus three. You have a bunch that have D plus five, whether that's Economist YouGov, NPR, PBS, Marist, NBC, Wall Street Journal has it at plus seven. So that's like the best news for Democrats. Um, but overall, you know, a, a plus 5.5 generic ballot polling average for Democrats. But what that doesn't necessarily mean is that individual races are all in great shape for Republicans. Right. So we there's some fresh polling from Monmouth out of New Jersey that suggests Republicans in New Jersey are going to have a tough time hanging on to those seats. Um, there are quite a few targeted House races. Do you want to talk Jersey. about this New Jersey poll? Um, so, I mean, the New Jersey poll, I mean, it, it does not, it, it, I think it's around 600 interviews statewide or in targeted districts. So it's not enough in any individual district, but it does suggest, you know, what you have 54% Democratic, 35% Republican. Was this in just in targeted districts or statewide? But it, either way, it shows some trouble. The suggestion was in their release that this is problematic for some of the key races yeah. that are happening and, in the state. And tax reform, I think, in many places has been a thing Republicans have can point to to say, hey, we did something and it can be a benefit. But in New Jersey, I think there's a big question there. In this uh, poll, people ask, uh, do you approve or disapprove of the tax reform plan passed by Congress in December? There, the, the plan does not get strong marks in New Jersey. It gets 46 uh, percent disapprove. Um, and you have 43 percent of voters in New Jersey saying that the tax plan will have a major impact on their vote for Congress um, with another 25 percent saying minor impact. Again, New Jersey is going to be one of those states where if you've got a cap on state and local tax deductions, yep. they're going to feel it because the state of New Jersey loves to tax you, That's right. loves those taxes. So – yeah, I yeah, mean, the generic ballot's looking good, but then you see polls like that, and it's like, ooh, individual races are still scary. Right. So here's what they found. So I look, this is a Monmouth poll. In the five House seats currently held by a Republican, voter preference is split nearly evenly at 46 for the Republican and 44 for the Democrat. Statewide, it's 54 for the Democrat, 35 for the Republican. Ouch. But um, but in those targeted districts, again, held by Republican right now, it's basically even. There are other places where it seems like Democrats, I mean, Republicans can't catch a break. In Pennsylvania, there's been, you know, Charlie Dent resigned, is you know, leaving early. That was announced yesterday or two days ago. Um, there was another retirement in Pennsylvania a week or so ago. Um, there's a new Quinnipiac poll in Texas that shows that was blowing up my Twitter feed. Senate, right before walked yeah. In here. So I mean, that's not the House; it's the Senate. But it, you have. A variety of individual polls that have been released that suggest, you know, tough, like tough sledding for Republicans. And I think people like to look at this generic. I mean, one, one, you know, if you look at some of the headlines, the headlines were there was no, you know, slam dunk. Like it, it, people want it to be for some reason farther apart than it is. And if it's not at some like really high Democratic advantage in the generic, then therefore you know, what Republicans have, are able to catch up. But we haven't seen any evidence that this can really narrow in some kind of sizable way. It's n bouncing around in this kind of five to 10 point range. Yeah. And then there's this is that's with the structural things and individual race is not really getting any better. Right. Um, and you also I think the Senate is just so fascinating because you have so many Democratic senators in states that Trump won that should be on the defense. And yet we're talking about Tennessee and Texas, right? which is just like – it just underscores kind of the nuttiness of the cycle. So I, I want to just talk for a half – I just want to talk for a half a second about this Quinnipiac poll because they released a little bit of crosstab magic and there was just – I don't know, crosstab that I, I thought was pretty interesting. So in this race, uh, you have uh, Beto O'Rourke is the Democratic challenger at 44 percent. You have Ted Cruz, the Republican incumbent at 47 percent. Which is you don't want to – if you're the incumbent, being below 50 percent is bad. Um, a, a lot of people do not necessarily know much about the Democratic challenger. So there will be lots of efforts to brand him positively or negatively. But there are big party gender, age and racial gaps on this race. Who to thunk it? Voters 18 to 34-year-olds, they're going for the Democrat 50 to 34 percent while voters 65 and up go Republican – 50 to 43 percent. Hmm. Huh. If there was only a book wow. that would help Republicans Gosh. with that challenge. Republicans are doing really bad with young vo – hmm. Hmm. 
I digress. Let's move on. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, how to what happens with Latinos? Obviously, that's what people are going to, you know, that's going to be an important piece of the puzzle yep. in that race. Although, the honestly, majority of Latinos are voting for O'Rourke. The fact that Cruz is only up seven among senior citizens actually is the thing that genuinely raises more alarm bells for me than, than even the 18 to 34 year old one. <laughs> Because uh, a lot of 65-year-olds and ups, uh, they're going to vote, like a lot of them. So you need to be running up the numbers. If you're going to be losing young voters by this kind of a margin, you need to be running up the numbers a lot higher with seniors I, than so plus seven. I hear, here's the thing. This this is a sign of Democratic engagement. If you look at the, the favorable question about O'Rourke, 53 percent say they don't know enough about him to rate him. OK, so a majority say I don't know enough. Doesn't mean they never heard of him, but they just don't feel like they know enough to say. That's how this question is structured. Yet he's getting 87 percent of the vote among Democrats, right? He's almost tied in this you know, race. Among Democrats, you know, 44 percent say they haven't heard enough. It's not even that much. You know, you still have quite a large number of Democrats who say they don't know much about him. But yet he's getting 87 percent of the vote among Democrats. He's consolidated his Democratic vote, which is not always where a challenger is at this stage if they're not universally known. it That's part of the enthusiasm um, while, you know, and he, work is at the same place among Democrats as cruises with Republicans. I mean, that, and, and a work's leading with independents. So I would like to associate myself with the comments made via Twitter uh, by Harry Enton, which is – I'm going to just read directly. Quote, I've long been skeptical that Cruz is in major trouble. Get a few more polls like QPAC and I'll shake that. But my prior is not for that close a race in Texas. Then again, how many times have our priors been shaken in these past three years? That's kind of where I'm at. Like on the one hand, I'm like, there's – Republicans are not going to lose a Senate seat in Texas. On the other hand, the mere fact that I have uttered that sentence Trump won by nine. Like, increased he the percentage Trump, chance that it's going to happen. He just won by nine. The same – the fact that Texas and Ohio broke by the same amount is like yeah. – I've long said that should be – you know, it, it doesn't mean Texas is blue tomorrow. But it is It is the, the first warning light blinking in the cockpit that should get people freaked out. Meanwhile, the Governor Abbott is, you know, under 50, single-digit race. It's not just Cruz. Okay. Don't get to you. This was good news for you, Marge. You get you get to talk good news on this show. <laughs> Last week it was like we had to go after. You know, we'd had there'd been too much good Republican news. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So next we have speaking of good news, I we have more stuff to report where we have our interview with Jeff Pollock. Well, we're super excited to have Jeff Pollack on today. Jeff Pollack, I think you and I have known each other for about 20 years or so, runs the strong, incredible firm Global Strategy Group, often shortened simply as Global and Jeff simply as Pollack. But we have <laughs> both – we have Jeff Pollack on representing Global and to talk about this new joint venture that uh, we're working on together. So – Jeff, tell this may be new to Kristen. I don't know if you saw all of our various tweets, but tell us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Navigator, how it came to be, and the key findings as you saw them? Why don't we focus on why Kristen hasn't read the stuff yet? (laughs) Oh, I I saw Margie's post that had this like laundry list of Democratic all stars that were involved, but I have not yet seen the results. Wow. So wow. this is – I'm learning I'm, with all of our listeners. I am honored to be on and thank you, ladies. I'm a, a regular follower of the of the cast and, uh, and uh, enjoy um, and appreciate all that you do to help uh, polling be at its absolute funniest and finest. Um, uh, so let's talk about Navigator. Um, Navigator is a uh, joint project of a number of progressive organizations that have decided that the uh, fight – um, uh, in terms of language, uh, meaning what's the best language to use on any given topic, has been left a little bit, a little bit woefully behind on the Democratic side. And so Navigator is an attempt to look at what's the best language to arm progressives to help them talk about things. Uh, and so we're going to look at things uh, on a monthly basis, um, quantitatively and qualitatively, and, and it's a, a real pleasure for 
um, for Global Strategy Group to be able to work with Margie and GBA Strategies on this, uh, as well as all these progressive organizations. So one of the things that I did see you guys have covered, I believe, in this first poll is how to talk about the economy. Mm -hmm. What were the things that you found that progressives should be saying to talk to voters about the economy? Well, the biggest thing that we find about the economy these days is that people are generally inclined to say things are headed in the right direction. They say things are going well. And, uh, you know, if you're a progressive, if you're a Democrat and you're trying to change Congress uh, and you hear that voters are saying things are going well, well, you know, that doesn't feel very good because all of a sudden, if the voters are feeling like the economy is going well, why would you vote out uh, the Republicans who are in office in all these places? And so, um, uh, we wanted to dig down beneath that and figure it out. And what we found is, is that, yes, people do think that things are going well today, uh, but they are worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, they know that the economy um, uh, may be growing in general today, but um, they're worried about being able to save money for retirement and for health care. And like, what's that thing that's going to come down the pike? And so I think the notion of kind of future oriented language about the economy is really important. People say very clearly that their financial concerns in the future are the things that are bothering them. Um, uh, And finally, what we know, and and something that's a very broad argument to make is, if you want to talk about the economy getting better, fine, you can. But the reality is voters, uh, and voters agree with that by and large. But while they think it's growing, they also think that wealthy people at the top are getting way more of the benefit uh, than middle class and working people. And so all those frames, I think, are, are ways to to begin to talk about the the economy uh, without getting sort of jammed up, politically speaking, um, uh, at the notion of uh, of the economy going in a better direction. Yeah, and we ha- we did a qual board um, with uh, as part of this project with uh, which is an online bulletin board focus group, so you can reach folks around the country. And we talked to people who are more persuadable, and we asked them about the economy, and they said, "Well, things may be okay right now." But we're one ER trip away from disaster. Or if somebody gets laid yeah. off, then we'll be, you know, we'll be bankrupt. I mean, there, there's a fragility that may be around the corner, even if right now they're not necessarily in crisis. Although, of course, many people are in crisis. But it's a way of adding a little bit of texture to simple, simply looking at an economic indicator. But one of the, you know, what I think was also interesting about what we did is the look at corruption and mm-hmm. what sort of specific items from Trump's, you know, top hits, I guess, uh, <laughs> seemed to be the most egregious. Obviously, quite a few things are seen as egregious. Which ones came to the top? And how does that fit into how people view corruption more broadly or the two parties in corruption or Trump and what his particular challenges are? So what what were your big takeaways when you saw those results? Well, let's start with corruption in Congress, first of all. And what we find is, is that the voters are very, very frustrated about Washington, which, of course, we all know. What their particular frustration is, is the influence of wealthy donors. They're worried about that as it relates to the Republicans. They're also worried about it as it relates to the Democrats. So I'm not giving uh, our own folks um, a pass here. The reality is voters are frustrated with everything that's going on in Washington. Um, and and so that concern that sort of the donors and that the parties are in the pockets of donors and corporations is a real, real concern. Uh, that being said, um, uh, when you pose it to voters and say, look, who's more likely to use government to personally enrich themselves or which party is more likely um, to use government to enrich their campaign donors, the voters choose the Republicans by a double-digit margin over the Democrat. And so I think that that's a real problem for the Republican Party um, uh, in the the very short term. So one last thing about Navigator, before we get to some other funny stuff that I want to talk about a little bit, is how beautiful the design looks. Jeff, I know the folks on your team worked really hard on it, and um, there's a website where folks can really search it. So, you know, we talk about polls all the time, and once somebody releases a poll, it, it sort of recedes sometimes from the you know, from the public discourse, sometimes it's hard for us to find. If I'm looking for a poll from a couple months yeah. ago, it's it's difficult to find. But um, what is cool about this project is that it's all going to be in one place and it looks really snazzy. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, that was that's your in-house design, which I I'm, we've I enjoy when there's really nice design behind polling data. Look, the rumor is that polling is boring. Um, uh, Cross tabs is just not that sexy, right? 
Uh, and so I, we believe very firmly that sort of making data sing in a visual way um, is really important. And so data visualization, I believe, is the future of all data. We all need to do a better job of presenting data in a grabbing and catching way. And so uh, appreciate the shout out for, for the team at GSG, the creative team that put this together. And um, and uh, we love how it looks as well, Marty. So my last question is, you know, we always like to talk to folks on the show about um, their own personal sort of journeys sure. into the polling world. So if you've known Margie for, did you say 20 years? Something yeah. like that, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I need the at least the, the the short version of how you got into this business How you and how did you meet Margie? I need this story. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember how I met Margie. I don't though. remember either, actually. I'm confident it was a, it was a significant moment in my life. Um, uh, and I've been trying to get her to, to work with me ever since. Well, um, today's the day. Thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Good luck. You should follow Jeff Pollock, and we're gonna have we promise to have him back on again. All right, so Kristen, there's some new wonky, in-the-weed stuff right yep. up your alley. Yes. I'm very excited uh, about this new information that we've gotten from the AP uh, about how to write about poll numbers. So sometimes when pollsters release a poll, they will release big round numbers, integers, you know, 50% approve of X. And some pollsters will get, like, that extra degree of uh, – precision, where they will say, oh, it's 50.4%, say X. Um, The AP has come down with a verdict. Do not use the decimal place. Integers only. Round. Round numbers, which I totally agree with. So part of the reason why they're doing this is they say, quote, it implies a greater degree of precision than is possible from scientific sampling. Poll results should always be rounded to whole numbers. But they have a, a, a an addition which says margin of sampling error can be reported to the first decimal place. Hmm. So because that is a that is a science that is a mathematical it's a principle, right? right? If you have done your sampling correctly and you have a sample of a thousand, your margin of error is it's not just plus or minus three. You've got an addition. You know you've got stuff after the decimal place, right? And that's okay to report. But for a poll number, if you go, oh, 50.62 percent of people approve of the job the president is doing, you've, you are implying that, like, you're, you've got it nailed to this very s- specific degree of – and you don't. In, right. in a poll, you just don't. So well, just round the number. It goes back to this quote I love from, I think, a former APOR president. I think that's who it is, um, who says – you know, a polling is an instrument designed to measure pounds, but we want it to measure ounces, that you don't have the level of precision that we hope and want it to have. And that's what this decimal point debate reflects, that it it uh, denotes that you have a uh, precision that you actually don't have. Now, this was not my polling pet peeve. I, you know, I've got a, I've got a whole really long list of pet peeves. This one really was not even in the running to be on my list of pet peeves. But I'm glad that it's I'm glad that the, somebody is making a call on it and discussing it. I think that's relevant. And I, I, I should say that I I basically I, I rarely release anything or show anything to a decimal point, not because it has a false sense of precision, but I want people to remember the numbers and adding decimal points does not make that easier. Adding garbage to your slide that no one, you're asking them to absorb something into their brain that they don't need to absorb. They don't need it. You know, it's much better to say about half, four in 10, fewer than a third, you know, (laughs) like it's, you know, especially if you're writing it for sure. Uh, But in a deck, obviously you have numbers, but it's just the thing, the gymnastics I have engaged in to avoid starting a sentence with a number. Yes, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Right. Extraordinary. I know. Right. Um, So but this doesn't go. This doesn't mention that in style book. Maybe it does. If you are a member, there's more. There's more to it. Um, The other things that the the AP release went into that I thought made a lot of sense. One is to avoid covering polling as the beginning and end of the story. Just because a poll exists does not make it news. Its existence itself does not mean it's news. And that polling should not be the headline and main subject of a story. It should help support a story or be part of a larger story rather than say poll shows X, which 
I think is good advice, right? I mean, that's a good movement from, I mean, it's not just about the coverage of polling that is, whether that's good or bad, but also the oxygen that that takes up. And if you have more stories that are about polling, obviously we talk about polling because we're pollsters and this is the pollsters, but um, not the show about baseball or about Phyllis Schlafly. It's the poll about the pollsters. Um, But for if you're covering a presidential race or a congressional race where you have to make a really important decision about how you're going to vote. If, you know, some large percentage of your stories are about polling ups and downs, what is that really telling people and how does that help people make a decision on how to vote? So I think for that reason, that is very good advice. And then the other thing that was in the AP stuff was online panels. Yeah, they're standards for what they will and won't post. And their standards are, I think, pretty sensible. When evaluating a poll, the AP is looking for four things. You must disclose the questions asked, the results of the survey, and the method in which it was conducted, like a basic level of transparency. The poll must come from a source without a stake in the outcome of its results. Hmm. And this, I think, is is good, but I think is challenging. So, like, for instance, our friends at Morning Consult, like, just like us at Echelon, like, have paying consulting clients. And so when Echelon, when we put out that poll about Facebook, we don't – Facebook's not a client like Apple. None of those companies are paying us or paid us to do that survey. So we can post that poll because that was just – me and Patrick were curious and just threw a poll in the field and figured it out. Right. you know, and I and a lot of morning consults polling too is just they're curious, they want they're contributing, they're doing stuff for Politico, but they also have consulting clients. And so when you have a pollster that we you know you dabble in those worlds, it is fair for someone like the AP to say we are only reporting on this poll if you can confirm for us that you don't have a client conflict and that you as the pollster don't have a stake in this outcome and aren't representing. You know, that is totally fair. But, you know, the line of what it means to have a stake in the outcome is not necessarily so clear. It's one thing if you're talking about a candidate as being up or down and you did that poll. or sure. Or you are talking about Facebook and Facebook as a client, right? Those are clear places where you have a conflict. But let's say you have an interest in whether or not, you know, Democrats do well or Republicans do well or people care about one issue or another. And it's not necessarily the group itself that cares about that issue that paid you, but, you know, people who are interested in a topic. Do you have a, a, a stake in the outcome of that poll by AP standards? I don't know. It's not totally so clear. Well, I'm very curious to see how they kind of adjudicate some of that because for sure that I mean there are lots of people that will hire a company, you know, like like ours to do a poll because they want to release it because they want right. to it to if it turns out that people really support their position, they want to be able to trumpet that. Look, our position is so popular. So this type of editorial guideline makes it harder for those kinds of clients to get their poll numbers out there into the universe, which is part of why I think the morning consult model is so interesting because they also have their own kind of journalism unit. So they can write about the polls that they do because they're making those editorial decisions. So I, like it's – it's I, I get why the AP does this even if it makes it harder for a firm like mine to have polls we do for clients make it out into the mainstream. Right. And, and even if – because so then the other two things that it, they ask, they say you have to do for the AP is report results in a timely manner, makes sense, and scientifically survey a random sample of the population in which every member of that population has a known probability of inclusion. So that is where things like your web panel polls run into trouble. Right. And that's where like, I'm pretty sure YouGov doesn't meet those standards, even though I love YouGov and they would argue that they do these like best in class. Panel I. Or yeah, sample I. They're sample I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got, got eight four on the brain. I remember cut, that deep cut. Deep They're sample I. They're fantastic, but I don't actually think they qualify under this provision. So there's lots of good polling. Um, and then, do other networks follow the AP guideline, or do they have their own in-house rules? And the online piece has itself been changing. It's good for someone to kind of put a you know plant a flag on it because you know there you know I'm old enough to remember when you simply could not get anybody to write on an online poll period the end and that's not true anymore but it seems like the rules vary a little bit from outlet to outlet and depending on who knows variety of things you know and so for AP to say 
that let's be more open about this. Is this going to provide some clarity for other news outlets or is it still going to allow for the wriggle room that we know exists? Well, I'm, it says on here that their new polling entry opens the door to covering some surveys conducted using opt-in online panels. Um, pay attention to the latest research on those kinds of surveys. So uh, unclear to me. I'm speculating about this YouGov question. But it's unclear to me what they will or won't, won't count. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's big news in the polling world. You know what else is big news in the polling world? What's that? Nate Silver. Oh, my goodness. Taking his 538 brand. So it started as, as a, you know, a blog he kept himself. Then it was absorbed into the New York Times. Then it spun away from the New York Times over to ESPN. Famously, Bill Simmons uh, courted Nate Silver to bring his 538 empire to the worldwide leader. Uh, and then Simmons left and went to start The Ringer. And 538, I think, has been at ESPN for like four years now um, and has now – ESPN has been going through some changes. ESPN has been going through some changes. So ESPN is owned by Disney. ABC is owned by Disney. Nate Silver was on ABC election night. Like he was on the set too. Oh. They had him. He was tucked back behind some like computers and you know because – because Nate Silver, I guess. Right. I don't know. But he, so he was there. So we've all been in the family. And I even camped myself at the 538 like table in the ABC tent at the Democratic convention. Oh, I remember that. Because it was that or I was going to just keep playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> oh, those were the well, – I just went – I almost went up to the Margie's partying with like actual celebrities and I'm – you know, <laughs> I've got no – nothing to do but go back and watch The Bachelorette and – Play Pokemon Go. Sarah Silverman is like my doppelganger, and then I got to hug her. It was very exciting. I'm still kind of excited about it. <laughs> I'm excited for you. That sounds a lot more fun. I feel, than play I feel like Go. I didn't quite make the most of that opportunity. I don't know what I, what I should have done differently, but I've thought about it a couple times. <laughs> anyway, Any, anyhow, so Nate Silver, welcome to ABC News. I'm very excited. If there's even more. Uh, people who are interested in this kind of stuff under the ABC News umbrella, then that's just more friends for me to play with. I know. That's exciting. Okay. Speaking of friends, here's how to not be Kristen's friend. Oh, no. (laughs) Is to do a poll that basically shows millennials are ruining food. And it's like a really elaborate poll for some reason. This is the part of the show where we normally insert like some garbagey thing that we've gotten PR pitched on that – Garbagey methodologically, right. not necessarily that the people involved in producing it. No, are they're wrong. all lovely. They're this, all... though, this is like – this is a frontal attack on my generation, <laughs> an attack. Yes. What did you think of this? Who did this, Paul? It doesn't – Patch or something or – Which isn't – isn't group Patch of, like the Pat- local – no, Patch know. is the local news – Maybe it was I don't remember. It doesn't. We'll find this it. Is, it's the end of the show poll. None of methodology. Nobody we know. None this of is our the part of the show friends. where we violate all of those important editorial guidelines yes. around disclosure of who's behind the poll, Question credibility. Wording, no. Whatever. This, this is, this is not that part of the show. Yeah. Uh, self-reported cooking skill and frequency by generation. So what percentage of people in each generation consider themselves to be good cooks? 64.7. Oh, decimal places, decimal places. It's a places. different time. Womp, womp, this womp. was last week. I know. This was last week. Of millennials say they're good cooks compared to 76%. I just think that means millennials are humble. Hmm. It doesn't mean we're bad cooks. Right? It it's means be a response we're set. humble. Yes. How many times a week do you prepare your own meals? Baby boomers slightly more likely to say that they prepare themselves breakfast, lunch, and dinner compared to other generations. The biggest gap it looks like is between that number seems very low. I'm sorry for all of, for all these groups. Sixteen percent, fifteen percent of folks say they prepare. Oh, that's oh, how many that's times, times a week? per week? Okay, no. I was like, what is happening here? How are these people eating the rest of the time? Okay, sixteen meals a week. Okay, because millennials are all going to brunch. Yeah, that's why we have fewer bottomless, times that we are preparing brunch. our own breakfast. Yes. All right. No, that makes more sense. It's not percentage. It's number of times. Okay. Where do you get your recipes? Um, Internet recipes top the list for all generations. See, there is unity here. Percentage of respondents who watch cooking shows or online videos. uh, It's 87.6% for boomers and it's 94% for millennials. So, again, not a huge difference there. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, the, the part of this poll that is the funniest is then when they ask people, um, would you consider yourself able to do any of the following yes. things? I know. And this list is millennials, incredible. the answers are, uh, okay, follow a recipe. Everybody says they can follow a recipe. 90 plus percent of all generations. Dice an onion. Pretty high. Melt chocolate. Guys, just put it in the microwave. It's really doing better. You smell it like a double boiler. You could, or put a pan oh, over a like larger work. pan and the bottom pan has got water in it. Um, nope, that's Because work. it's just melts it in a more smooth way. Shuck an oyster. Very that's, few people can do that because that's dangerous that's in how dangerous. you stab yourself. That's the only one on this list I have never done. Carve a turkey. Yes. Okay, that, I will totally buy that there's a generation gap on that. Yeah. Whole generation not taught how to carve a bird. Yes. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I, like peel a potato with a knife. That sounds dangerous. Get a potato peeler. We have the technology now. Yeah. It's like, oh, Mince do the, you yeah. do math on an abacus? No, I do not. <laughs> that doesn't make me a not good mathematician. <laughs> Get cooking gadgets, people. <laughs> yeah. Don't hate on millennials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I like whip, make whipped cream from scratch that's in the middle of this list. Like it's, We it's, have the technology. No, I'm sorry. Whipped cream, you don't want like fake whipped cream. It's for, but the, what it annoys me, not annoys me, but what I laugh about this is that the re, the instructions are in the name. Okay. It's whipped cream. It just tells you exactly what to do right there. You should not. That's one. That one from the middle of the list is easy. Making french fries from scratch is not as obvious, it's not, you know, you need to have the right potatoes if you want them to taste like fries and have crispiness and so on, have good knife skills. But making whipped cream from scratch just takes a whisk and some time. That's it. I will say of all of the things on this list, follow a recipe, even though it's tops and everybody says they can do it. I cannot because <laughs> I want to improvise. It's like jazz, except it always goes <laughs> real badly for me. I'm, I'm very good at if there is if we're like, what are we going to have for dinner? And I just walk into the kitchen and I'm like, hang on. And I open up the fridge and I open up the pantry and I just pick things. Yes. And then I can usually make something good. But if yes. I try to follow a recipe, I'm always trying to game the system and like being too clever. Like, oh, I know the recipe says X, but I'll bet you if I do Y, then it'll taste better and be done faster. And it never works. So I, I guess I'm a failure on that sense. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say – Will you follow a recipe? It just says, can you follow a recipe? And I think if you were I appreciate your forced me, to do it, you would be able to. You wouldn't be like, I just don't know what to do, right? I think follow, can follow a recipe means – It's not that it intimidates me. Right. It's not that like, I want to go what's a tablespoon? Yeah. It I, can't you, be contained. Right, right. No, I got it. You're just too creative <laughs> to be, you know, hemmed in by, you know, restrictions. Okay. Key findings. Too many polls this week. Everyone wants tomorrow's opinions today. The polls show there's no easy path for Democrats, perhaps just an easier one than one facing Republicans. And we like our pollster friends. So thanks to Jeff Pollack for coming on. And congrats to the 538 crew for joining Kristen at ABC. And maybe try out some new cooking skills while listening to, to the pollsters. Shucking oysters, maybe. Or maybe just starting with, what was one of the other ones, flip an egg. Without breaking the yolk, maybe start there. Ooh, that's a fun one. Yeah, don't stab yourself, guys. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters individually at at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook where we always have robust and interesting conversations <laughs> about the polls that we might be talking about that's right. on upcoming shows. That's right. Thanks. Bye.